I bought a copy of the Papa Lip CD, High Time Now, when it was first released in 1998. One of the tracks on it, I'll Be Free, struck me as capturing the optimistic enthusiasm of youth. But what happens to the hopes and dreams of musicians just starting out? I'm Neil Ashworth, and this is I'll Be Free, a podcast about musicians finding a way to make a living, the lessons they've learned, and how they survived, or plan to survive, a life in music. No one can encapsulate your identity through music like you can. I want to learn to do everything. Now we're going to veer sharply into the music scene inhabited by digital natives. Little Green is a multi-instrumentalist singer-songwriter who's decided to make music her life. What makes it tick? So do I call you Little Green or do I call you Amy? Oh, I've thought about that a lot. You, um, I decided you can call me Amy. Yeah, Little Green is just my artist name. I thought about that when I was choosing the name. I was like, is this going to be awkward? <laughs> like, hey, Little, you know? <laughs> so, um, no, nah, just Amy is cool. Little Green, Joni Mitchell's song, 1971 album Blue, which is like 50 years anniversary. This year? This year, yeah. Oh, wow. That's interesting. And the winters cannot fade her Call her green for the children who've made her little green Why did you particularly pick that song? It was one that kind of, I feel that one when I hear it and I've always, it's always felt like special. The story is very um, touching and personal and it's just guitar and her and I think that like just the sound of it always was very comforting to me. So I think it's about like her child, which resonated because uh, something that I feel passionate about is sharing the inner child and connecting with that inside me and inspiring others to connect with their own inner child too. That's like not what the song is about at all, like, but it does have that childlike quality to it. And it's very sweet. I think like the person you are before you're 10 is like the truest version of you so that's like wow that's a big call (laughs) (laughs) I mean it's definitely an opinion but I think that society starts to shape us after we're like aware which is around like 10 maybe approaching high school for me it was a bit later because I'm very naive and just like shut everything out yeah I think that's the message I wanted to share and that whole album was like the soundtrack to my childhood so I guess paying homage to um to the music that shaped me as a person and a human being um that's basically why why little green you got into music how did that happen well I think I was either destined or doomed to head down the music path whichever way you look at it because my parents are both musicians so growing up I was kind of surrounded by music and they would always go to gigs at night and we'd sing four-part harmonies and my parents would teach me and my sister things on all the instruments in the house which was a lot my dad had a studio downstairs there's lots of like kid videos of us like fighting over the congas or something like I think yeah I was just surrounded by it so I officially started learning flute when I was seven and then saxophone was a bit after that and then 
singing and guitar and piano that was like me and my sister both kind of like it's hard to say when we started learning because those instruments were always there around the house and if we wanted to learn something we'd just like ask our parents <laughs> there was some times where my dad would annoy me because he would put like a tuning fork on my head you know those tuning forks you like go uh, like hit it and then it goes ding so he'd like train me to have perfect pitch by putting it on my head <laughs> like so it would like ring <laughs> through my whole brain and it actually worked I could sing an A as like a really little kid for a while like without hearing it but I've lost it like I think yeah I have to keep training myself like I am nowhere near perfect pitch now I think just the little random moments of him making me sit down and learn something I didn't want to learn were so helpful, but it was never forced. Like, if I didn't want to do it, he would not push it or anything. If we felt like learning something, we, we knew where to go. <laughs> At some stage, performing in public must start happening. True, yep. I started actually gigging and looking for opportunities when I left high school, so I was... 17, 18, and I started just open mic with just like really weird people you'd meet at open mics, me included. Like in the beginning, it was like hard work and I would carry all my gear with like no car. Like there was, we have a massive hill, like where our house is. I'd like carry my suitcase with a speaker, my saxophone, my guitar, my flute, my mic stand, and then I'd get the bus and then I'd get the train and then I might have to get another bus to my gig because I was like just so determined not to have a car and then uh, just recently I, I gave in and I bought a car which has been very helpful it's baby blue I've already started writing a song about her <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get the gigs how did they come about well at first it was literally just open mic and then the venue might ask me to come back for a paid gig or I'd meet people I started posting stuff on social media and then cover gig agent reached out and we met up and he started getting me gigs um, these are all just cover gigs to start with there were a few cool kind of like support gigs that came through like Instagram or something just from being there and people seeing something but then not too long after I started following the music thing someone reached out to me on email and I didn't think anything of it and I think I waited like two or three weeks and then he called and then turns out it was this startup business that they're called Muso or Muso app basically it's uber for gigs so <laughs> they've revolutionized the music industry I think like they've really only just started already they're they've made so many butterfly effects in the music industry like my personal journey has been so much because of the people working behind Muso they've got their values right as well like they they pay the artists properly they were just connecting venues with artists and kind of supporting that local scene because there's a bit of a gap between local artists and people who've kind of like made it I guess they were kind of filling that gap so yeah a lot of gigs have come through Muso like an app because the, yeah the venue can go and look at the artist before they send the invite and they can also like rate the artist afterwards so <laughs> you, you were putting YouTube videos up four years ago I think there was that first one Mama mm. Says oh God. Mama <laughs> Says back in 2017 it's still there <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that was my first video. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, um, it has changed. I guess in the past you would go rock up to the venue and give them your contact details and say hi to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, now it's like 
so much about your presence online and you can kind of it's almost like faking it till you make it convincing the venue that you are worth hiring through your image and how you present yourself online which is annoying it's challenging but it's good I like I don't mind it I think I was born into this so like it's cool but I think there's more opportunities than threats 2019 is where it sort of really starts to happen for you oh yes (laughs) yes oh gosh what is the opposite of a war? Um, well, that is a story. So I finished school in 2017 and, yeah, I started at the con doing, like, a composition course and, yeah, I got three weeks in and I just had this meltdown because I was like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life, this doesn't feel right and, like, I felt like I was disappointing people by not wanting to follow through with it but I was also like, this definitely doesn't feel right so I stopped and decided to have a gap year instead. Literally just, I think it was a result of my breakdown, I found this random producer on Instagram because I I wanted to travel and I wanted to record an EP. That was the two things I wanted to do with my gap year and kind of start this artist project. It's just so, it's actually a bit stupid what I did, but it all turned out well. Um, So yeah, anyways, I looked up literally producer on Instagram. Maybe I typed in a, like a country, I don't remember. This guy called Diego came up and uh, he's based in Madrid. So I reached out and I was like, hey, do you want to help me make an EP? He seemed really keen and he liked my videos. Yeah, I ended up flying over to Madrid and staying with him and his family and we made an EP downstairs and I saw I saw Spain and I went to Croatia and the island where my grandmother was born, um, Bela Luka. That was another big thing that I really wanted to do. I was scared out of my skin like I was homesick as hell for like the first two weeks I was not ready to do something like that at 18 I'd like I didn't know how to do anything I remember just like boiling carrots for dinner and like eating them by itself like and just mushing it up and it was disgusting like I didn't know how to cook I didn't know how to look after myself I was scared in this city alone I'd never traveled before so I was like yeah like 11 nights in one hostel is good um (laughs) it was way too long (laughs) my like the hostel room stunk and it was just like I didn't even think of just leaving I just was like oh my god this is terrible um but anyways I had after that two weeks just kind of finding my feet it was the best time yeah so that's how Raw was born I think like looking back I always want to change things and honestly like first musical works I feel like people always feel a bit self-conscious and embarrassed about because you're you're really just finding yourself I think I I really appreciate what it is now when I think about those songs it's like a moment in time which I think that's all music is and all it should be like when I'm recording I'm just capturing a moment it's nothing is like final so music is never finished it's only released yeah, exactly. Did really well. I mean, what, 84,000 streams on Spotify, from what yeah. I can work out, and similar YouTube. Yeah, Sweet Pain was definitely resonated with people, I think. When life is going against you, and you feel so small, and the thing you love the most doesn't make you feel good anymore, and you cry but you don't know why You don't deserve to be sad But you just can't stop the tears from falling down And there's nothing you can do To stop the pipe of frustration The empty feeling in your heart 
I guess it's just a relatable message and definitely something I wanted to share. It was like a realisation I had, kind of overcoming your own mind. Like, actually, I am in control of this. The thing about any artistic endeavour, though, is you are putting yourself out there on display, aren't you? This is me, please yeah. like me. <laughs> yeah, you know? I know. When we say you release raw, how do you bring people's attention to it then? I'm pretty sure I annoyed all my friends on social media for a, lo- a while, kind of like, go follow my page. <laughs> I, I like busked a lot, put my little sign up, like, follow me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I did work with some people on Sweet Pain that kind of helped me promote it a bit just for the first single because I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, I think I did go a launch party and like all my friends and family came which meant a lot. Being really noisy which felt really off to me. Like I didn't like it. I didn't like promoting myself. I still don't really like promoting myself. <laughs> I think yourself is the hardest thing to market because it's very hard to step outside and see you for what you actually are. I also kind of was like, I have to do this, like, in order to make music. Like, ultimately, I want to make music for a living and I want to share my story and stuff with people and connect with people. And I guess I was, I don't know, I think I was like, I I have to do this in order to achieve that dream, I think. I mean, unless you have any other suggestions of how I could. (laughs) I'm I'm like all ears. (laughs) How do you say, listen to my music in a humble way? Like... (laughs) someone please tell me (laughs) but yeah like there's just so much noise online and it's so hard to rise above it I guess everyone says like it's just the content has to be really good so that's what I've been working on just improving my skills (laughs) and yeah like you said like video making and creating engaging stuff like I've worked out just short and sweet works online (laughs) yeah people like people don't have big attention spans I mean I definitely don't when I'm on Instagram Anything over 10 seconds, I'm like, yep. (laughs) But, yeah. You started collaborating in 2020. Mm -hmm. You started with Boulevard. (laughs) Two guys. Two guys. (laughs) Jordan and Edgar, yeah. Jet black Yamaha, the world is rushing by. You're riding way too fast, slow down. It's like a stomachache inside my brain, um, yeah, we met at a songwriting competition, Listen Up Music. It was a, a songwriting night and I'd never met them before either. And they performed their song and I performed my song at the semi-finals and neither of us got through. We were like kind of bummed, but <laughs> I think we also connected over that. So we set up a session and wrote Take Your Time, which is me and my mum were talking about it the other day. It's like kind of nostalgic now. Uh, yeah, that was, I guess that was the start of the whole collaborating thing and working with like more pop and electronic producers. Um, definitely a big part of exploring myself as an artist. Quite popular, 327,000 <laughs> streams on Spotify. Yeah, I don't, I don't, like, I honestly don't know where streams come from. Like, they did a lot of the promotion for that one, so I was like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but does that put you in the zone where you start to get a, a check from Spotify? Uh, yeah, you'd think. <laughs> um, yeah, I've got a bit of money from Spotify. It's not heaps, but it definitely helps but yeah i think we released that one with the distro kid so that's like it's just a diy kind of distribution platform and you just upload your song and it's all like 
electronic, you're not really working with people at all. But yeah, you can like see all the analytics and how much money you've earned from each song. Um, take your time. Yeah, that was like the first time I was like, oh wow, cool, a hundred bucks. Like, like not bad. <laughs> Until you get to a million streams, you're not on the horizon, and it's not unusual for. Was it eight hundred people last year got a, over a billion streams? Yeah, unless you're like yeah. Tones and I, it's yeah. like got to have another part-time job <laughs> yeah, yeah. but that's cool too i mean you got to write songs about something can't just do music got to go into the world put out a lot of stuff in 2020 uh, the night mm. five thousand streams uh. the night it cries the stars they shine they bleed into the sky the earth is hot Jungle Train. Yes. <laughs> 350,000 streams again. actually the first co-writing session I did. It just took a, a while to release that one. Yeah, all so many songs. But this is happening uh, in COVID. So COVID comes along, you know, March last year. How did that affect you? I've been asked that question a lot and I always say I feel very guilty, but it was the best time in my life. <laughs> I'm sorry for the rest of the world, but um, I loved COVID. <laughs> I, it was like just time to stop and just make music because I love making music. Like everything, all my goals and kind of everything I was basing my life on, it felt like it was taken away. Like I couldn't go anywhere, I couldn't see anyone. I think it was just good to kind of isolate myself from all that noise and look inwards and create from my inner child. <laughs> like that's what it felt like. It felt like I was a little kid again in my room, just like bored and trying to find something to do but now I had skills so <laughs> like because I was studying at uni at, at that time as well I was learning about songwriting and production and I think having all that in my brain and then having time to just stop then I created something from it and it was really cool um I went on like heaps of bushwalks and yeah I think it was just so nice having time not feeling stressed to be busy all the time it felt like it felt like the world stopped and I always used to think of that question like if everyone stopped like what would you do like you were the only person alive <laughs> and turns out I would make music <laughs> you decide to go back to university so I decided to go to JMC Academy, which is a more contemporary creative industries university, which suited me better. I'm not for what I wanted to do. JMC felt like the right fit. One of the best things was just having access to their awesome equipment. Going into those songwriting suites, I feel like that was where I developed the most. Yeah, it felt like I wasn't being critiqued all the time. It was more like a safe space to become an artist. It was full on, but now I'm free. I never like thought I could produce music but going to JMC and studying it made me see like I actually can do this like I probably I don't know if I'll be like a producer like I don't think I could produce for someone else but I feel comfortable enough to kind of express myself with my own production which is a really cool 
thing to have. I think like having the tools to be able to fully express yourself is just so rewarding. I think uh, one of my friends, she said once in an email that no one can encapsulate your identity through music like you can. That like stuck with me and I was like, I want to learn to do everything. And I also want to keep working with people. That's also rewarding in its own way. But I think just knowing how to do it is like, it's good. I like it. This whole explosion of DIY bedroom producers, which is awesome. I love that. Like everyone has the tools to become whatever they want to be, basically. Like I think And the gear is relatively cheap now. Totally, yeah. My microphone is so cheap, but I love it. It's like does everything. I can record guitars, vocals. I think it's like getting to know your gear more than getting the most expensive gear. I think that's how to get the most the best sound for you. It's like your musical biography is on YouTube, mm. like from 2017 through to 2021. Yeah. You, know, you can see the progression there. And you even made a, um, a making video of Raw, oh, the making right. of it, yeah, <laughs> which I thought was great. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> you and maybe 10 other people have watched it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true, actually. I, YouTube is like the one that I don't overthink too much like I usually go and delete things and get all self-conscious about stuff and it's really silly my sister gets so annoyed at me she's like why'd you delete that <laughs> but YouTube yeah I've kept stuff from when I first started I think because I I feel like people don't see it but now that you've told me you can see it <laughs> I might go and delete some stuff <laughs> no well I've always loved journaling and keeping track of my life because I actually have this thing I get really scared of forgetting stuff so I literally write everything down like <laughs> I journal every day and like when I went traveling I think I was writing more than I was experiencing because like I would experience one thing and be like oh my god like I don't want to forget this <laughs> like so I'd spend so much time trying to write it down and like exactly how it was experienced so I guess maybe like the yeah YouTube is like my my video diary <laughs> um you did uh, a thing called mini beats Well, I think that started when I started uni, when I was learning to produce. So originally, it was literally just learning. I was just trying things out and like I wasn't very good yet. So I just would make one minute songs every week in my directed studies class. Because yeah, like I actually wasn't supposed to have directed studies until later, but I think I asked and they let me. So I had the studio to myself and then a teacher would come in and give me feedback. And I told him my goal is to make a one minute song every week. And he was like, all right, cool and he like helped me with that um and then I post everything so I started posting them and yeah I think it was kind of like uh yeah just ha learning to produce and there was another reason I did it oh I think to also like kind of build an audience they have a bit of a soundtrack feel to them oh really <laughs> cool so I thought that's what you were aiming at, perhaps, that I'm going to make these... Oh, yeah, I would love that. <laughs> ...little things that people can use, either use in their music or can be used for soundtracks or podcasts or... Yeah, no, that is a really good idea. That's definitely one of my dreams, like, writing music for film and TV and podcasts. Like, imagine if you had written the Friends theme song. That's my dream. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to write the next Friends theme song. So, yeah, okay. um, maybe subconsciously. I had that in mind. <laughs>
Well, it's not unknown, is it? I mean, one minute you've got the Flight of the Concords playing, you know, dirty pubs in Western Sydney, and the next minute, you know, they've got their own TV series, and then Brent is composing music for major film. Hell yeah. That's the plan. That's <laughs> <laughs> where I'm going. <laughs> it could happen. 2021, you do Featherlight Melodies with, how do I pronounce this, Sandport? Three million streams on Spotify. Yeah. That just blows my mind, honestly, because all I did was noodle some flute. <laughs> like, because the one that got that many streams, um, that's the instrumental version. So I didn't sing on that one. I just made up a little melody on the flute, which was felt like so silly and so quick and easy. And then it took ages for it to be released. So I kind of forgot about it. And now just recently, yeah, they, they released it. Julian is his name, his real name, um, and he's become a friend. And he releases through this independent label in based in the US called Friends of Friends, uh, Friends of Friends Music or Friends of Friends Records or something like that. And they're great. Like, I'm really grateful because I guess my first label experience was a positive one. And I think a lot of artists don't have that. I think a lot of people get screwed over and I don't know, get sold dreams, <laughs> I think. But they did such a good job. And yeah, it's, it's a cool claim, I guess. I mean, I don't really think about streams too much. Like I try not to look at numbers because like it's definitely not what it's about. But it is also like, it's like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it just pushes it up on all the various playlists, doesn't it? All the yeah, automation think, that's out. Yeah, I think that one got on some big playlists because Julian is such a good producer. He's like lo-fi and quirky and he like makes all his own sounds and he's really good with like foley and stuff like that. So like all the background noises. And he was um, telling me about how everything is kind of in sync. So I asked for his feedback on something I'd produced and he was like, it's great, but like the sounds don't match the message of the song. So like, why have you got an electronic clap when the song is like about nature, you know, like go record some leaves or something like I think I've I've learned that from him and yeah I think like it's like that's all him honestly like I'm, I'm glad people are listening to it because it was fun and I learned a lot from that collaboration and then you put out Pirouette That's one special. That's my baby. <laughs> and you produced it? Yes, yeah, I did. <laughs> you played all the instruments? Mm-hmm. My dad played the double bass. The artwork, where did that come from? For the cover? Well, I did, I collaborated with a Sydney-based artist, Felipe. I think his Instagram is Felipe Photography. I had this idea of, like, a girl dancing out of a flower because the flower petals like fall and then it's like all the seeds or whatever and then like more flowers grow out of that so yeah I, I wanted it to be a dancer in a flower <laughs> like with leafy arms or something so I wouldn't say I can really draw but I think what I learnt and what people told me is like it doesn't matter because it's you and like you're just sharing you so yeah I, I did like a really crappy little sketch of a flower girl dancer and then Felipe turned it into the artwork which is cool I loved like what he sent back I was like oh cool it looks like I can draw <laughs> so it's good and you can't be unhappy with once again 
people are listening to it. Nine thousand streams. Yeah, true. As well. Yeah, I think、uh, I got probably the best feedback from my friends and family on that one. It feels of... accomplished. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> Thanks.、Um, lots of people asked me like what it's about. People seemed worried, but <laughs> it's, it's cool. It's like a deep song, I guess. Yeah, I actually I spent a lot of my growing up not wanting to grow up, and then I hit a point where I was like, actually no.、Nah, <laughs> I guess I'm trying. So, <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> you know, the strange contrast I think is here's a musician that's putting their music out to the world, and then you're down at the Friday night food truck in Barara, and that's the way to get it out there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Council gigs are the best. Are they? They pay heaps. Yeah. <laughs>、oh, good.、Oh, um, good. Yeah. No, they they look after me. It's good.、Um, I used to kind of just. Play for free and do favors and stuff like that a lot because I think you have to. And I think only now am I kind of trying to know my worth and not be just stepped on and like be more confident in that I am providing something and I deserve to be paid for it. So <laughs>、um, I'm definitely still gigging, and I guess those gigs fund my music making. So um yeah, I'm really lucky to have those cool gigs <laughs> playing to little kids who request Incy Wincy Spider. <laughs> <laughs> They keep me on my toes. <laughs> so the other thing with the geek is there's merch. In the good old days, that weren't that good. The big merch was, of course, a CD. And that's just not happening anymore, is it? It's pointless. <laughs> no. Occasionally, people ask if I have a CD, but like not enough to actually spend money making one. <laughs> so yeah, I like think about some. Kind of random merch ideas sometimes. Like I try to think of weird things that will kind of grab people's attention. Like I had some USB mixtapes once that didn't work, but that's okay. That was actually an idea of someone else, and it was a really cool idea, and people loved it. The only problem was the USBs didn't work because it was from this dodgy kind of place that supplied them. Yeah, at the moment I've I've been um I guess it's another COVID hobby. Started knitting, so I've been selling my handmade headbands. They're green, of course. Little green headbands. Yes,、um, I have discovered one issue with this plan, though, is that it takes me way too long to make one. Like, <laughs> so they're not very um like efficient. But I think they're still cool to do. I'm kind of not selling them at the moment. I'm saving them all up to give away or sell at. The launch party in June. Yeah, that's been fun. Driving around to people's houses, delivering headbands and tote bags. <laughs> I mean, this brings us to the question though of how do you make a living? Yeah, <laughs> that is the question. <laughs> Pre-COVID, different story. Now, I mean, things are kind of going back. I think cover gigs are my main income. Some people have a part-time job or like a full-time job and do music on the side. For me, cover gigs. I think I was gigging like three times a week before COVID, and that was pretty good. I was doing some teaching as well. I don't know. I'm honestly just trying to take one step at a time. <laughs> like, do you feel like it is starting to come back? Yeah. I mean, the last few weeks I've been like busy. So, and then yeah, also planning my own shows, like the original shows. So yeah, later in the year in June, I'm organizing a launch party at the Lansdowne. So that'll be fun. And then got one in Alice Springs. <laughs>、um, when you say cover gig, what does that mean? It's like the venue has hired me. It's Paying me a fee to basically just play background music or whatever. I think yeah, it's usually like a hundred dollars an hour, 
Um, usually I bring my own PA. An original show is like when people have come to see Little Green and buy tickets and or like I'm opening for an act. But I normally play my originals at cover gigs anyways. <laughs> and just like I normally alternate, which usually the venues are fine with that. Um, but I do not have enough songs to play three hours of originals. I think I'm ready to go back now. I think I needed the time to remember what I want and who I am. And now I'm ready to get back into the world. As promised, Little Green has just released a new EP, The Night. I caught up to her after the launch party at the Lounsdown in Sydney. Hello, Amy. Hello, Neil. How are you? You did the launch of your new EP at the Lansdowne on Sunday. How did that go? Yeah, it was great. It was stressful organising. I spent most of the day stressing about it because organising a show is harder than I thought and everything went wrong. Um, <laughs> well, kind of. There were just a few little dramas. As soon as Lambro started playing, um, Lambro is like my favourite live act ever and I'm so stoked that they came and supported. Um, but yeah, as soon as they started opening the night, all the stress kind of went away and I started enjoying myself. <laughs> so it was really great just like watching all my favourite bands play that I asked to come along. Um, there was Lambro, Zach Sellers and then of course Marty Wilson who was also launching her album and yeah it was great like all my friends and family came and it was a bigger turnout than expected. Yeah I don't know I think I'm still buzzing from it actually. I'm, I'm just here like in, I've come to Blackheath today which is like my place where I reflect on things and it's snowing and I feel so high in life right now. And you've got another show this Friday night? Yeah, um, I think, um, yeah, I'm playing with some, some of my friends on Friday and then a few more shows after that. I was supposed to go to Melbourne, but that's not a good idea, I don't think, right now. And then going to Alice Springs for the Beanie Festival. I'm playing a set opening the festival there on the 25th of June. And then after that, I'm going to Brisbane to open for Marty, Marty Wilson and her like Brisbane show. The big single from the EP, Mother's Daughter, how's that doing? It's, it's good, I don't know. It felt good to finally share that one because I've been holding on to it for a bit. I think it's been interesting like hearing people's responses to it. Someone said it made them cry. <laughs> well, that's what you want, isn't it? You want to make them cry. Yeah, I totally get the emotions out. I had some nice support with that one. Women in Pop premiered the music video, which is cool. Yeah, I don't know. That's a fun one. It's like a bit different to the others on the EP, but um, I think it's been received pretty well. Thanks, Thank Amy. You. Bye. Bye. You can find Little Green on Instagram at littlegreen underscore underscore on Triple J Unearthed and her compelling videos are on YouTube. The next episode is about Sarah Homme, double bassist and vocalist and her pet project Monstrous. Produced and mixed by Neil Ashworth. The intro music is I'll Be Free by Papa Lips from the album High Time Now. Check out the website fishwishing.com.au for all the other details, including a track list. <laughs>